When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we are taking a dive into a conversation and a topic I haven't really explored before. Usually we work with pregnancy and postpartum and birth and babies, but today we're going to look at fertility yoga and food and diet to support fertility. I have to say it probably once, twice, maybe three times a week, someone will reach out and ask me about fertility yoga or poses to increase increase fertility or what foods they should start to look at for fertility. And that's out of my wheelhouse. That's not really my thing. So I reached out to Kendra Tolbert. She knows this stuff. This is her thing. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist, a registered yoga teacher, and a certified aromatherapist specializing in fertility and women's health. She helped people prepare for pregnancy and improve their overall well-being with self-care and mind-body practices. It was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with Kendra. She has a really mindful way of thinking and speaking, and you can tell all the information she's given is very evidence-based, which is something I'm really into. So I think you're going to enjoy this talk. I did. Now, before we get to this conversation, let's take a little moment to tell you about some of the amazing things that we have happening at Prenatal Yoga Center. So I have to tell you, I was nervous when we started to return to in-person person classes, I was thinking, are people wanting to come back? And the answer is yes, they do. And I'm so excited about that. So our in-person classes have started to fill and it's wonderful. So we're slowly folding in some more of those classes, but that doesn't mean we're going to close the door on our online classes because it's a community that has really blossomed. And I'm just so excited for that opportunity to work with people beyond our walls of New York City. So we're continuing our online classes seven days a week, and we're continuously adding in some in-person classes. So check our schedule for that at prenatalyogacenter.com. Also, I know you can't always make it to class. So I've got what I'm calling the cheat sheet. It's five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. So you can go to our website and grab that. So on the days you can't make it to class, you've got something to help yourself feel great throughout the day. And then last thing I want to just jump into is people have been asking what's going on with our teacher trainings. So we are knee deep in our September, October training. It's going so well. It's an amazing group of people. We have space in our November, December. And then I decided that we're not going to travel yet for the winter, the January, February. So we're going to do that online. I feel like that's the safest place. And then hopefully we're going to be back in person for March, April in New York City. So if you're thinking about taking the training and 
and you don't want to have to travel to New York and you want to do it from your own home, I got you covered. We've been doing this for about a year and a half and it is going so, so well. And I'm really excited to continue that. All right. Oh, and last announcement. I almost forgot to say this. So prenatal yoga center and Boober has teamed up for a lot of our online workshops. They're online as well as in-person. So check that out. You can go to get boober.com and you can get help with our courses. You can get help finding a lactation consultant, a mental health therapist, um, uh, lactation consultant. All of that is at get boober and you can use the code PYC to get 10% off of their services. And for workshops, you can also sign up at the prenatal yoga center website. Okay. That is a lot of me chatting about what's going on in the prenatal yoga center world. So we're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Kendra. Hi, Kendra. How are you? Oh, all is well. How are you? I'm doing great. I have to tell you, I am so excited to talk about fertility yoga. People ask me that all the time. What what kind of advice can I give? And I know pre, I know postnatal, those are my wheelhouse and our regular yoga, but all I think about, and you can correct me on this and we'll show you deeper. When I think of fertility yoga, all I think of soup Bada Kunasana. And I know there's so much more to it. <laughs> so this is so great to have this conversation, not just because I'm excited to learn, but clearly our community is hungry for it because we get asked all the time about this. So I guess before we dive in, I want to know a little bit about you and what led you to focus on fertility. Yeah. So I've been obsessed with birth probably since I was 11 or 12. I used to watch this birth story show on the learning channel and I'd watch it (laughs) after school eating like my snacks. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Eating I know it was, it was strange. It, <laughs> I have this vivid memory of like eating spaghetti and watching a baby being born and my mom just being like, well, okay, <laughs> but also encouraging it. Yeah. That's great. And so I loved that. I thought I would become a midwife realized while I loved seeing blood on the screen, I didn't want to mm-hmm. see it in person. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to become a dietitian and the very first dietitian that I shadowed was a WIC dietitian and WIC is a food assistance program here in the United States that provides food aid, food, well, nutrition education, breastfeeding support, pumps for fully breastfeeding moms, formula for infants and food for children up to the age of five. And I shadowed her and I was like, oh my gosh, I can do nutrition and women's health. I don't have to choose between the two. So I decided that's what I wanted to do. So shortly after grad school, that's what I did for two years. I worked as a WIC nutritionist. And one day a woman came into the program to put her son onto the program. And she shared with me that she had had trouble conceiving and that she had adopted him. And I must have been like 25-ish at the time, and I had never considered having trouble conceiving. And I think it says a lot about the message that we often get about pregnancy. It's like we were just told, don't do it, (laughs) don't get pregnant. So it was almost this assumption that it was always right around the corner. And so I did what I often do. I went to PubMed and I searched fertility, nutrition, and I was surprised and angered by everything that I found because I was like, oh, it's more than just 
make sure you have enough folate and take a prenatal vitamin. Like there's research behind preconception nutrition. So I started sharing it on a blog, mostly as a way to organize my thoughts because I wasn't in school anymore. And the more I shared it, the more people reached out to me wanting some help as they were preparing for conception. Next thing I knew, I was at a different clinic. I had moved on from WIC, but I was at a clinic that provided just kind of basic health care to people in the Bronx. And so some of the providers started to send people who were trying to conceive to me. And a lot of them had PCOS. So I decided that I would focus on PCOS and fertility and women's health. And then along the way, I realized that a lot of people felt betrayed by their bodies. They no longer felt connected to their bodies. And so I knew I needed something to help people reconnect with their bodies and course, yoga made a lot of sense. So that's when I decided to become a yoga teacher. And I took three or four, I can't remember now, uh, fertility yoga teacher trainings. And that's pretty much just what I've been doing since then. Mm, I love that you approached getting your basic foundational yoga training for the purpose of fertility. Can you, do you remember? Cause I always have a hard time finding places that do fertility yoga and I want to put this in the show notes. Do you remember the places in which you did your uh, fertility training with? Yes. So the first two that I did, I did with Lynn Jensen and she has a book on fertility yoga and she is a fertility yoga teacher in the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And so she has a level one training and a level two training. So I did hers and then I did a training in Austin, Texas. It was with yoga medicine and they have, I think it's a 24 hour, maybe 25 hour fertility and women's health training. So I did that one. And then there's an online training. I from Aim Healthy You, I think. I can't remember the woman who teaches it. Yeah. But there's one there as well. All right. This is perfect because I've had people ask and again, I work with people once they're pregnant. And so I just don't know the resources and I've looked and I haven't found a ton. So this is really helpful, but it's so interesting. I'm so fascinated by the research that you found and we'll get into, I definitely want to pick your brain on the, on the food part and the, and the nutrition. Um, but I'd love to start to dive into a little bit about the role of stress infertility, because I'm guessing that I think of that often with the yoga part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I always wish this answer was more straightforward, the connection between stress and fertility. And it's just not (laughs) to my knowledge. We don't have research that says when people have an increased perception of stress or they're experiencing more stress, that they're at an increased risk of experiencing infertility. To my knowledge, we don't have that research, Mm. but we do know that stress negatively impacts menstrual cycle regularity. It can postpone ovulation. We know that it can um, exacerbate something like hypothalamic amenorrhea. So if someone is not ovulating and not having a menstrual cycle because they're under eating and over exercising, psychological stress only makes that worse. We also know that it can exacerbate things like thyroid conditions or PCOS, which is like the leading cause of anovulatory infertility. So we know that stress plays a role, but I haven't seen research that says it's, you know, it's causal. And I think a part of that is that so many people spend so much time depleted and exhausted and stressed 
that when they're reporting stress, they don't even perceive it as stress anymore. So I think that makes it even more it's difficult like to really know what the relationship. Like we're yes. all living at a baseline yes. of stress and that is exactly. just, we're just accustomed to that. Mm-hmm. I get that. Exactly. So what was interesting though, from what you were saying is that if someone is stressed and that's, that's affecting their menstrual cycle, it's not that they're maybe in, they're having fertility issues. They may not be in the window for their ovulation in which they thought they were because things have um, changed because of stress. Is that right? Yes, exactly. I, I feel like I see this often because we often have this idea that people are ovulating on day 14 or people are using apps that predict when their fertile window is Mm -hmm. and they're just kind of blindly following what the app says or what typically happens in their cycle. But if you're really stressed, it could be postponed and you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know that your window actually shifted back a bit. So it really does require that people pay close attention to the cues that their body is giving them in the moment and not depend on an app to tell them or the 14 day idea. Cause that's usually not when people are ovulating. Yeah. I have that conversation with people when it comes to their due date and I'm like, your due date is more of a due month because we don't, <laughs> most people don't really, you know, particularly ovulate on their 14th day. Will you go over some of the signs of that fertile period? I remember reading a book, actually a couple books. Um, one was take charge of your fertility, I believe the name. And it gave some signs that even though I was in my late, thirties when I had my first child, I'm like, Oh yeah, these are the signs. Like, you know, you see them, but at least I did. I saw these signs every month, but I didn't always connect the dots. I'm like, Oh yeah, it is right around my ovulation. So you go over some of the things that can just help people recognize that window of fertility without necessarily needing an app. Absolutely. So the big one is vaginal sensation. So you might notice that you're feeling a bit more slippery around that time. Um, You might also notice a stretchy egg white or just a clear or even watery discharge around that time. And that's an indication that your body is preparing for ovulation. And that's when you would want to have sex if you're trying to conceive. Another thing that I often see people do is if they're doing like basal body temperature um, charting or tracking Mm -hmm. is that they'll wait until they have that Um, temperature spike. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say, oh, I know I've ovulated. Let me have sex then. But at that point, that's just proof that you've ovulated. You want it to, you know, have sex before Before, you ovulated or, you know, right during ovulation, but there's no way of knowing exactly when you're going to ovulate. So you're looking for those signs. So you're looking for possibly a slippery vaginal sensation. You're looking for cervical mucus that is stretchy, that is clear. There's maybe more of it. You might even find changes in your libido. You might actually just have a desire for sex around that time. Those are a few of the things that you might notice. That's great. All right. So I was scanning on your website and I saw your video about what it means to live fertile. And first of all, I love a good acronym. So that was <laughs> such a dork. I love it. Things that help keep me. That's how I remember things. I make acronyms up all the time. So can you, <laughs> can you go over what that means? What does it mean to live fertile? 
Yeah. So in a nutshell, to live fertile to me is to live a full life. So it's a life that is productive and enjoyable and all the other things that fertile can mean besides being able to conceive. You know, it's a creative life. It's a fun life. And as an acronym, the F stands for fun movement. So it's all about moving your body in ways that you find enjoyable. So it's not just mechanical exercise. It's really finding the things that bring joy to your life and moving in those ways. And then the E is for enjoyable nourishment. And so I am a dietitian. I'm always thinking about nutrition. And when I work with people, I often see that the nutrition piece is there, but the enjoyable piece is missing. (laughs) And so it is remembering that food is meant to be pleasurable. And so having pleasurable, enjoyable experiences with food, seeing food as a way of connecting with yourself, connecting with others. And I would even say as a way of communicating with your environment and letting your environment communicate with you. So when you eat a variety of foods, when your food supply is enjoyable, you're saying to your body, this is a land of plenty Mm -hmm. and this land can support me and another life. So it is about making sure you're eating enough and eating a variety and enjoying it. The R stands for rejuvenation. So it's really about rest. It's about sleep, It's about stress management. It's about the things that help you feel grounded and restored. And then the T is transcendence. That's really the kind of spiritual esoteric part, the unexplainable parts that we know play a role in our overall well-being. It's the, it's the thing we can't quite explain in a lot of cases, even though we do our best to. And then I stands for integrative exploration. I am a big, big, big fan of so many forms of traditional medicine and things like aromatherapy. I'm actually a certified aromatherapist. Um, I'm a fan of herbalism. I just, I love those things. And I think people should be encouraged to explore them mm-hmm. and also see that it doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to choose conventional medicine or alternative medicine. You can explore both and choose the best of both worlds and in a way that fits you in your life. Mm-hmm. And then L is for love. So that's connecting with yourself. It's connecting with others. It's connecting possibly with your partner if you're trying to conceive with a partner. And then last but not least, we have emotional well-being. So the E is for emotional well-being. So it's really the mental health component of it all. We talked a little bit about stress, but also when someone is experiencing infertility, there can be a lot of stress and anxiety and depression. I believe the rate of anxiety in people who have received an infertility diagnosis is the same as someone who's received a cancer diagnosis because it really does feel like a loss of the life that you expected to have. So it's about making sure that you're turning to a therapist, a support group, your friends, your family for that emotional support when you're experiencing infertility or when you're just preparing for pregnancy. I love that this really looks at the whole person, not just, okay, am I Mm -hmm. getting the right nutrition? When am I ovulating? But it's really the whole person, the emotional, the spiritual, the physical person. Because again, coming from a yoga teacher, my mind, when those things are aligned, the body, everything functions better. So I really appreciate your, again, love to an, love, the acronym. So I really appreciate <laughs> your your way of thinking. So as I talked about in the very beginning, I have been asked about fertility yoga. I don't know much about it. I, I kind of 
think when someone asked me, I'm like, is it about a heating quality, a cooling quality? So how does a fertility yoga class differ from a typical yoga class? Yeah. So if you've done yoga before, then it's not going to be that different than what you've likely experienced in other classes. And that's because it's still yoga. What really makes it different is the intention behind the sequence and who is in the class. So we know that most of the people who are showing up for a fertility yoga class are trying to conceive. So you're surrounded by people who get it. Um, and then based on the training that your teacher has received, they have an understanding of what is going on during the different phases of your cycle and what is going on during the different phases of your assisted reproductive technology or um, techniques that you may be going through. So if you're doing IVF, if you are stimming, you know, your ovaries become quite enlarged and you might have a lot of abdominal kind of um, tension or tenderness. And so your teacher would know to perhaps encourage you not to do a deep twist in that moment, because that might not be the most comfortable thing. And they would know to tell you that. So that's really what makes it different. That's interesting. I, yeah, I guess I thought it was more about, because I was when I was conceiving, my acupuncturist was always talking about certain cards, especially on the kidney band. She's like, keep that, in the sacral band, keep that warm. So I thought, okay, maybe it's about yeah. heating parts of the body and not letting them get drafty or cold. Or is that just kind of me thinking in a strange way about fertility yoga? I don't think that's a strange way to think of it at all. I really do think it depends on how the person was trained. So one of the trainings that I did was done with um, yoga medicine. And so the, the lead teacher there, she's an acupuncturist. So she incorporated traditional Chinese medicine into how she talked about fertility and how she thought of the menstrual cycle. So I often think about what sort of imbalances are common with the people that I'm working with. And so I will sequence around those possible imbalances. And if you do yin yoga, then you might have an idea of how I'm choosing those poses. So if I'm working with a group where they're an older group and there's this concern about like a kidney yin you know, deficiency or something like that, then I'm going to choose poses that would be along the kidney line. Is it the normal pace? I guess, again, I'm just going through this idea of it being more restorative because I'm thinking about the stress level mm -hmm. or is it, it more? So yeah, what would that look like? Um, just, is it a flow typically, or is it just Hatha poses? Yeah. So I tend to kind of put a little bit of everything and it depends on what the group needs. I do tend to use a lot of yin and restorative. And I if I do her, any yeah. sort yeah. If I do any sort of flows, they're slow because I'm always encouraging people to be introspective, especially while they're trying to conceive. So that's how I tend to approach it. That's kind of what I envisioned. Oh, it sounds fairly, really kind of juicy and relaxing, even though I'm not looking for fertility right now. <laughs> My kids are old enough that I'm like, we are closed for business. But um, it seems like a really supportive, warm, inviting class. Do you only let people yeah. in that are in the fertility world just because it seems so inviting? Um, so the videos that I share on YouTube, of course, anyone can practice those. But when I'm, you know, reaching out to a group, 
it's typically people who I know are trying to conceive. Right. And because I use the word fertility or infertility, that tends to be who shows up anyway. Yeah. I've had people just ask to continue in prenatal after they've had their babies just because they like it. So I wasn't sure yeah. how you work oh. with that. Um, yeah, I've actually had people that are looking to try to conceive asked to come into our yoga classes. And this is where, and I'd love your thought on this. This is where I tell them it may not be the place for them because if they're having issues or really thinking about conceiving and then they're in a room of people that have conceived, I can imagine that feeling challenging. If someone's had a problem getting to that point, being in that room and seeing everyone else pregnant, I could imagine being emotionally hard. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I think it would depend on the person. I'm thinking about, so when I did my training with Lynn Jensen, she talked about how one year she did a training at a prenatal center. And so she said that the most people ever got pregnant in that class. And she was convinced that there was just this energy of pregnancy surrounding everyone. And so maybe if it's someone who, you know, is inspired by seeing these pregnant bodies move and be healthy and connect with one another, that might be a great class for them. But if it's someone who knows that, you know, every time they get a new friend announced that they're pregnant, they don't feel so great about themselves, probably not the best fit for them. Oh, that's a nice point though, that maybe it's like kind of that pregnant energy that can be supportive. So are there any specific poses that you'd encourage someone to do on a daily basis to boost fertility? Ooh, I like this one. So I do definitely think it's just someone's overall yoga practice that matters. But if you don't have tons of time and there are just a few poses that you would want to do consistently, I would turn to legs up the wall. Mm -hmm. um, I find that that's really accessible for a lot of people. It's something people can do in bed. It's something people can do on a couch and, of course, on the floor. And I also find that it's very calming for people. And we talked about stress I would also say child's pose. There's something about child's pose that just instantly helps people, at least people I've worked with, kind of turn in to themselves and kind of reconnect with their intuition. And I don't know if it's like the sensory deprivation, right? You're kind of just in your own little bubble mm -hmm. in that moment. And I think that's so helpful for people who are trying to conceive, especially people who are the go-getters in life because they're often the ones who are, they're doing everything. They're reaching out to everyone. They're looking everywhere for information and often they're not turning in for that wisdom that their body has mm. to provide them with about what the next step might be. So love child's pose. And the last one, it's not really a yoga pose, but any sort of like hip circles, hip movements, I think that that can be really great and supportive. I feel like a lot of people have a strained relationship with their lower abdomen and their hips for all sorts of reasons. We're constantly holding our breath. We're constantly holding in our stomachs. I know I've heard, especially women share with me some really terrible things they've felt and thought about this part of their body because we live in a culture that wants you know, people to be small for whatever reason. So there's something about those hip movements and hip circles and enjoying that free movement of a part of our body that tends to be stagnant mm -hmm. that I think can be really helpful. Mm, 
that sounds like a really amazing practice. I'm so drawn to this. This is really exciting. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're actually going to shift gears and you're going to put your dietitian hat on because I want to dive into foods. All right. We're going to be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Okay, we are back. So as a registered dietitian, let's start to talk about how foods can play a role in supporting fertility. Mm-hmm. So food really does provide the building blocks for our reproductive organs, our reproductive cells. So the egg, the sperm, we really do get what we need to build those organs and those cells from our food. And we do have research that looks at particular eating patterns and how they may impact someone's ability to conceive, whether they're undergoing IVF or they are just getting started. And so the two there are probably three eating patterns that I tend to turn to when I'm working with someone who's trying to conceive. And the first one is the fertility diet, which was an eating pattern that was uncovered by Chavaro and Willett. They're two researchers. I think this was way back in 2008. And when they looked at the surveys from women sharing how they were eating, they found that people who ate this particular eating pattern had a lower risk of having anovulatory infertility, so infertility that's caused by not ovulating. And so that included eating carbohydrates, but choosing ones that were more slowly digested, um, having ample amounts of unsaturated fatty acids, but avoiding trans fats, having plant-based protein at least once a day in place of an animal-based protein. And this one was a really big deal in 2008 because I think everybody was still on this low fat is the way to go mm-hmm. thing that I'm so happy that we're coming out of. Um, they found that it was better to choose full fat dairy over non-fat or reduced fat dairy if someone consumed dairy and to really focus on including as many micronutrients as possible, whether that's, well, I would say it may also include supplements, but definitely from foods. And then the other eating pattern that I often use is the pro-fertility eating pattern. And this one is good for people who are undergoing IVF. So it's supplementing with higher doses of folic acid, um, vitamin D, and B12, having plenty of produce. It seems that low pesticide residue produce is the better option, but the most important thing was just to eat more produce. And whole grains, dairy, and soy may actually be beneficial, and then regularly enjoying seafood. And then the third pattern that I often use is the Mediterranean eating pattern. And this is one that I feel has so much research just behind being supportive for overall health. And it's, you know, having olive oil and other monounsaturated fatty acids, um, plenty of beans, peas, and lentils, ample amounts of antioxidant-rich fruit, vegetables, herbs, and spices, having seafood and poultry more often than red meat, having in this part, I love this part, um, having meals with friends and family. I think sometimes, again, we get so stuck on like, what are the micronutrients and the macronutrients in a food? 
that we forget it's an opportunity to connect with others and with ourselves and really focusing in on enjoying your meals, having this leisurely, you know, experience with meals and really focusing on the pleasure of your meals. And that goes back to your acronym, the enjoyment and the love. Like as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, the love of eating with friends. Maybe that's also because we've been in COVID and we haven't been eating with friends <laughs> quite as much, but there is something really about sharing a meal and enjoying and savoring and especially with the company that enriches somebody. Mm-hmm. I really love that. It's <laughs> not that I'm like, oh, no, I'm hungry. But those... <laughs> Those sound really doable. It doesn't seem, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we put this word of diet and like, like it's a bad word. Um, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be like, like a restrictive, scary word. It could just be a different lens of how you're choosing your foods. I like the way you describe that. So I remember again, I keep thinking back to the lens I'm seeing through is when I was trying to conceive and I made a big deal of it because I was older and I'm like, Oh my God, I passed 35. I've got to put all this effort into this. (laughs) Like it was a big scary thing in my mind. And so I read a few books and one of them was talking about detoxing in preparation for conception. What are your thoughts behind that of kind of a general detoxing and prep for conception? It's not language that I tend to use, okay. and there's a number of reasons for that. Yeah, please um, explain. The main one is that it doesn't feel appropriate for the population that I tend to work with. I often work with people who have PCOS, and they're at an increased risk of developing an eating disorder. Mm. Um, we know that there is actually a higher prevalence of eating disorder history or a history of um, disordered eating and those who experience infertility. Um, I'm also working with with people who have HA, which is hypothalamic amenorrhea. So that's a group of people who likely have already been restricting their food and over-exercising. So talking about detox just feels like a okay, no-no no, for that you. group. Thank because, you for sharing that way. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I guess I thought of like creating a really clean place. That's what it was in my mind. Like pull back yeah. on the coffee pull back on the sugar and just create a really fertile, clean body. So that's how I interpreted when I was in my mind, like detoxing, like pull back on the wine, clean out the junk. (laughs) Does that make sense? So I thank you for telling me to be careful with my language there because that is something I try to do. So changing the language. Okay. So what about just then I guess using the three diets that you had mentioned would be a better approach mm-hmm. of thinking about how do I create the most fertile ground? Is that a better way to think about it? Okay. That's how I would approach it. And I think for certain populations, it's likely not an issue to use that terminology. It's just the lens that I have because of who I've worked with. Um, but yeah, I definitely tend to focus more on what can we add in. And the beauty of focusing on what to add in is that quite often, a lot of the other things kind of go by the wayside because there's just not as much room for them. Um, and on top of that, when we are eating you know, a lot of the produce that we talked about, you're getting fiber. And that fiber is supporting detoxification. If you're eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, you're getting antioxidants. So that's supporting detoxification. If you're including cruciferous vegetables, which 
you likely would if you're eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, then you're supporting those detoxification pathways without thinking about it being a detox, right? Your focus is what can I add in that supports my body's innate ability to detoxify? That makes a lot of sense. So let's keep going a little bit about foods. And I only brought this next question up because I had a student years ago and I cannot remember what food it was, but she was telling me she ate copious amounts of, I can't remember what it was in order to try to help her conceive. Have you heard of like people diving in or are there certain myths around certain foods that are going to help boost fertility? Not like the diet you, the diets you explained, but are there any fertility food myths that you want to bust? Ooh, I want to bust so many. Okay. I, I, immediately, <laughs> I immediately wondered if it was pineapple because I feel like everyone's like, eat a lot of pineapple Maybe to get pregnant. it was. I always, yeah, yeah could have been. But yeah, I don't remember. I feel like it was a fruit. Maybe it was watermelon or maybe it was pineapple. I don't know. But it was just like, there was just a conversation. She's like, I've been working really hard to get pregnant. I ate this. And I'm like, really? I hadn't thought of that. Like, I remember my reaction of like, huh? So, okay. So pineapple, does that do anything? Does it help? Not to my knowledge. Um, I think, you know, it, it can count as one of the many fruits and vegetables that you choose to enjoy. Um, another one I hear is pomegranate. So that seems mm. to be a popular one. Uh, but mostly I would want to bust the myth that it's about one magical food, right? <laughs> so it is your overall eating pattern that matters, which is actually really good news. Cause if you hated pineapple or pomegranates or whatever else, someone You're said you yourself. have to eat that to get pregnant. That takes the love away. That takes the enjoyment right. away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There are always other foods that you can enjoy. So there's not one magical food, but also there aren't you know, specific foods that are going to completely damage your chances either. Cause I see a lot of people feel guilty about enjoying like a cup of coffee or, um, enjoying, let's say like a grilled cheese sandwich. Cause that's that combination of gluten and dairy. And there seems to be this idea that gluten and dairy will absolutely ruin your chances or soy. And actually what we see is those foods might be beneficial. Of course, if you have a known sensitivity or allergy, you would want to avoid them. But that doesn't make those foods bad for every person who's trying to conceive. Let's talk about sugar and inflammation and infertility. I love that you combine these. And I love that because I feel like sugar and inflammation have definitely gotten a bad rap. Um, without question, we don't want chronic excess inflammation, just like we don't want people living off of sugar alone. But that doesn't mean that either of those are bad. It just means in extremes, they're not so supportive. So when it comes to sugar, um, I think sugar is not so bad, especially when it's found in the foods that naturally contain them, right? So our fruit, our grains, those are things that are going to have carbohydrates, but they're also going to have other things, right? They're going to have fiber. They're going to have vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. And that's the good thing about choosing as often as possible whole foods is that you're getting the entire package, not just this isolated nutrient or isolated food component from it. So yes, we would not want people to, you know, only live off of sugar, but that doesn't mean that sugar in and of itself is bad. Though we do have research that shows 
that there is some sort of connection between insulin resistance or sugar, blood sugar imbalance, um, and infertility. But to me, that says, okay, then we need to really focus in on proper insulin sensitivity and blood sugar balance. So I wouldn't first think, let's eliminate sugar. I would think, okay, let's make sure that we're eating balanced meals. If we're having a food that is higher in sugar or carbohydrates, let's make sure that we're also having fiber, fat, and protein-rich foods along with it to create balance. If we are you know, experiencing insulin sensitivity, then let's also make sure that we're staying active and managing our stress and sleeping well, because those things impact our blood sugar balance just as much as how much sugar that we eat. Then when it comes to inflammation, we need inflammation. Like it's a necessary process in our bodies. Actually, implantation is an inflammatory process. Inflammation is caused during that, during that, um, that burrowing, <laughs> burrowing in to the endometrial lining. And that's necessary. It's just, again, we don't want it excessively so. So it really is then focusing on, on an anti-inflammatory diet, getting enough sleep, managing your stress. It's all connected, right? I like this because it does just highlight that it's about balance. It's not about, mm-hmm. okay, you're trying to conceive, cut the sugar out. Cause that also can take away some of the joy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a good cannoli can make one very happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that can help with the libido and the fertility. So I like that you're really looking at moving into the stage of conception from balance instead of pulling the stops away from things because that can create more stress. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So you just mentioned intermediate lining. Can you talk about, are there any foods, and I could be totally off on this because I'm always looking for kind of a little bit of support. Maybe it's my type A. I like organization and, and like lists, like do this. Are there any <laughs> foods that can help improve intermediate lining? Yeah. So whole grains seem to improve the thickness. Um, the other thing that I would say around endometrial lining is to focus in on, and this comes probably more so from an herbalism standpoint or a traditional medicine standpoint, is you would want to choose foods that encourage blood flow and circulation for obvious reasons. So ginger comes to mind, beets come to mind, leafy greens and nuts. So those are foods that do support vasodilation. So really, you know, allowing blood to flow freely to an area. Those are the foods that would come to mind and they would be a part of the overall eating pattern. I wouldn't stick to just those foods and try to live off of those alone. Although a good beet salad is quite delicious. So if we're Swear after this conversation, I'm just gonna go down and stare at my fridge for like, what should we dive into? Um, so <laughs> when you were talking about, about blood flow, that kind of brings you back to the yoga and about, you know, mm-hmm. we do want to have good blood flow. It feels like putting mindful movement and mindful eating together is really a step to help people find calmness as they enter the stage of conception. And I think that really can then we keep going back to take the stress away. It just seems like it can be overwhelming for a lot of people to be like, okay, we're trying to conceive, ah, which is what was I, that was me. And you're offering a much 
more celebratory experience of like, it's okay. It doesn't have to be stressful. We can nourish our body and our mind and find love around. So I'm really appreciating your approach. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Because yeah, I remember again, I was a little over 35 and it just feels like in our culture, you hit that mark and everyone's like, oh my God, you're never going to conceive. You've lost your chance. You know what I mean? I'm sure you've heard people say <laughs> oh, that. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, de- I think that your approach is definitely taking some of that edge off. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, if you can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to share, we'll be right back. Okay. So you've given golden nuggets throughout this whole conversation, but is there one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to share with our community? So what I hope people walk away with is the idea that they can trust their bodies um, to do this and that they can support their bodies in doing this. So like I said, one of the reasons I turned to yoga and decided that I wanted to include yoga in what I do was because people often shared with me that they felt betrayed by their bodies. And so it's, it's so important to find a way to reconnect with your body, learn to trust your body again, and really remember that it's on your side. It's your teammate. And if you're heading into pregnancy, it's going to be your baby's home. So it makes a lot of sense to find a way to be at peace with your body. Mm, I love that. Okay. Where can people find your work? So the best place to go is actually YouTube. So if you were to go to YouTube and search Live Fertile, you'll find my channel. You could also go to YouTube.com. I believe it's forward slash uh, (laughs) Live Fertile, and you'll find it there. Or you could go to my website, LiveFertile.com. So L-I-V-E-F-E-R-T-I-L-E.com. So wonderful. I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. It just, again, I'm out of the conception stage, but I feel like so many people can walk away feeling excited and positive if they're on that, on that path. So thank you for bringing such amazing energy and wonderful knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.